All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my father, John, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I would typically turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. But since he's off for this weekend show, I will take the lead on that. So in the past week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1.7%. The S&P 500 was up 1.9%. And the NASDAQ this past week was up 2.6%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is back in the black, up Seven-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 is up 5.4%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 11.7%. So we're just continuing to meander back and forth in this trading range. I would say this past week it was the battle between the 50-day line, the 200-day line, and it appears for the home gamers and for the tech technicians listening to our show that the S&P 500 this past week has done a pretty good job uh, keeping above that 200-day line and on Friday was able not only to close above the 200-day moving average but the 50-day moving average as well. But I know just in conversations with Dad, and again, welcome back to the Money Wise Show by Thank popular you. demand. Happy to <laughs> popular demand. <laughs> by popular demand um, is, is that um, – having conversations with you. This is not the new bull market yet. We're just no, not I, there yet. No, we're not in a new bull market. Not we're in a still, new bull market. No, we're not in, you know, we're in a correction in a bear market. We're not in a bull market. Personally, I don't think we can be in a bull market until the leaders of the Washington become more pro-capitalism and less socialism. And so I guess you would say I can't get overly bullish until Ron DeSantis is president in uh, 25. But the problem is I don't think Ron DeSantis is going to be president in 25 because I think Donald Trump's going to get the nomination. 
Well, in, in, in being that Jeff is off for this weekend show, I know we could talk a little bit more politics. And I know years back, and I remember this, when we did the show, when they just had all the announced GOP candidates, and you were the very first, and I will remember this like it was yesterday, and you said Donald Trump will be president. And this is when just the field of the GOP candidates was announced, and you said that, well, it- I think, even before the first debate. Well, no, no, you're no, that's not true. No, uh, it wasn't. Okay, no, well, but I appreciate you thinking it was that was that early. Got to uh, fact check you, Kyle. I, you know, I said it. <laughs> I, I said that he would be the nominee in January of of twenty sixteen, and then by March, I said he'd be president of the United States. Okay, uh, I don't know who the nominee of the Republican Party is. I think the problem we've got is that we've got this establishment class running Washington, and it's on both sides of the aisle. You know, I would say Cornyn and, of course, the turtle, the head of the uh, – so, well, I forget his actual name. Mitch speaker, uh, Mitchie. Was, Mitch yeah, Mitchie. You know, Mitch all McConnell. these people – I mean, we have this group of people that are just pro-war. I mean, they're pro what's going on over there. They get all – you know, they get all of the stuff we don't see. They get all of the secret – uh, intelligence, and they're all so pro-Ukraine. And the thing, when I was listening to the show last week, that I got a little upset with you guys as y'all were talking about the Federal Reserve, market was down. Well, I think the market was down last week because we went to Ukraine. The President of the United States showed up there after a 10-hour train ride. You know, he can't take a two-hour train ride to East Palestine. That's a no, long nap, got, too, by the way. It, you know, he's got to go over there. And I mean, it's like, what, what is the end game here? What, what are we trying? You know, someone needs to establish this is how we get into trouble in Vietnam. You know, this is how we kind of got in trouble in Korea. I mean, we need to, what is victory in Ukraine? How do we define victory? And then the other part of this is we're spending so much more money than the other NATO partners that it should be more their war. And yet, we obviously have to take the lead. And we're well, sitting here with an economy, you know, we're trying to get over COVID and we're, you know, we're spending money beyond the drunken sailor. I don't want to, I don't want to say bad things about drunken sailors. I mean, we're beyond drunken sailors on spending <laughs> well, money. No, it, and it, it's it, both it, sides it, of the aisle. It's <laughs> not just the Democrats. No, yeah. And I mean, that, that criticism goes, like you said, Dad, on both sides of the aisle, just feeling that the U.S. government has an open-ended blank check, and then when you hear about all they can do is just bemoan about the tax cheats, it's like, but what about how you're spending the tax dollars that you do collect and the fact that we as citizens, as taxpayers, have no control over it? And it's been it's been going on like this for so many years, but now we're, what, up to $500 billion or I mean, roughly I- that amount being spent? And like you said, what is the end game? What is the end game in Ukraine? And obviously it's becoming less and less popular with voters on both sides of the aisle. So I I think you might have mentioned it on past shows. You're not going to hear that from the polls. The polls are not going to show that. What what I think he's saying, too, and where he would probably disagree with Jeff is, you look at market risk, interest rate risk, we're still still dealing with geopolitical risk, which is impacting the markets. I mean, you look at the energy, energy sector, commodities, there's a lot of different variants. Plus, like you're talking about how much money you're going to spend and how are we going to be accountable for it? But it's and what's the, the equation. That, and, and really, Dad's, Chad's question, yeah. what is the end game? What's, I don't what's even victory think they like? know. Yeah, what's yeah. victory look like? I don't think anybody knows. Well, I think that, they know. 
and, and, and I think they know because of the intelligence reports that we don't ever get to see. You know, they like what's going on. I mean, the powers that be like what's going on over there. So whether we're testing our weapons against Russia and we're having a lot of success, I don't know, but they seem to be happy with it. You know, they blew up that pipeline there in the North Sea, and they go, oh, us, did we do that? I mean, of course we did it. Of course we blew it up. Talk about well, talk about an economic, you know, you know, where are all the, the, the climate ecological, change people? Ecological. Yeah, thank you for the word. That, that's, I mean, that's the word you're searching for. And, I mean, and then, that was a far worse than what happened in East Palestine. Well, and then, and then, of course, the president browbeats yeah. all the oil companies for giving monies back to their shareholders that help oh, yeah. fund the companies. How dare yeah, you? Let's, let's, take, let's take our first pause and take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, boy, we, we just dove right into politics in the first segment. So let's shift back to the market because this past week we had an up week, uh, the week prior to that, which we were talking about in the last segment being a negative week. And, Dad, you know, you feeling more that it was geopolitics two weeks ago that really drove the market down. And this past week, you know, this past week, for the most part, again, we were saved by Friday. You know, it was kind of attack of the Fridays again, because the one thing that we did see this past week in the markets, we saw the 10-year Treasury yield get back above 4%. And it hasn't been back above 4% since November of last year. And so obviously we have some algorithmic trading that took place as soon as that 10 year treasury got close to four and ticked over four, here comes the selling. And again, when I go back and look at the volume, we still, for the most part, are yeah. having volume right at the daily moving average or below that. Although we did have an interesting above average day um, on the 28th where we did see vol- sell volume above expectation or above the daily average. Um, but it, it seems again that the algorithms, the algos are tied into the interest rate movements. And the big $64,000 question is, are we going to get the 10 year treasury back above 4.24%, which was the high that it reached in this last interest rate cycle going back to 2022. My personal well, feelings is I don't I don't feel we're going to get back to that four point two four percent on the ten year, even really? though we know the Fed. I, I even though the Fed has got maybe two, maybe three more interest rate increases they have to do before they finally finish this. Because I think, Dad, I think that the January uh, inflation data that came in was a little bit of an anomaly. We heard some inflation data this past week that drove the markets, particularly on Friday, higher because they came in weaker than expected. Now, next week, we do have the employment number, 
on Friday, and that's going to be a very important number. So I know that there's probably a lot of investors that are kind of circling the field waiting to see if we're going to have another huge employment print like we saw last month where over 500,000 jobs were created. But what I can say and why, Dad, I think we're kind of still seeing maybe an anomaly of this higher inflation data in January is I was reading some statistics this past week. Now, from a product inflation standpoint, we have inventory and inventory supply chains in and around the levels they were prior to COVID. So I think we can say that a lot of the supply chain issues that drove higher inflation on the product side of the consumer spectrum is finally coming back into its normal place of where it was prior to the pandemic. And so then that puts the majority of the inflation we're still feeling on the service side. And I know just in conversations with Jeff this past week, just from on a personal level, a bunch of different service providers he does business with have all yes. raised his prices in the yeah, last I week. Heard that. Yeah, that's yeah, true. So he's probably complaining. Uh, of that, uh, about that. Well, he complained on last week's radio show, but I've already complained to me about it. Yeah. And so we're still having, and there's still going to be sticky inflation. I mean, as I've said on this program numerous times, we're going to see sticky inflation, particularly in the energy area, because we have an administration that looks its, down its nose at the oil industry. Now I can tell you anecdotally from a, a client of ours that, um, took a second retirement job up in the panhandle to help a family member with a welding business. And he, yeah, he, yeah, his, you know, a family member needed some help. He's like, heck, I'm retired. I know how to weld. Let me help you. And next thing you know, he's working almost three weeks out of every month, 14 hour days. And he told me that it's absolutely going bonkers in the panhandle. He said, I don't know where Midland and Odessa, where the separation is. It's all just one giant community. And he said business is absolutely booming up there, even with an unfriendly administration. Yeah. So wait until we get to 25 when we have a friendly administration, how much more work is going to be up there. And so it almost, I don't want to say a gold rush, but the way that he describes it, it's its booming up in the panhandle. So we still know that there's going to be sticker part, stickier parts of inflation, and I'm still, I'm not holding my breath, I'm still waiting for the Federal Reserve to come out and say, you know what, this 2% mandate, we need to adjust our target and push it to 3 and just, I think you let's may be holding real. your breath a long time there, Kyle. No, I know, well, there, but Joe, that's why I'm not going to hold my breath. I mean, Paul Volcker did it where he adjusted it to 4 back in the early 80s, you know, and, but the Fed's not going to do it. And then the other, I would say, argument that Jeff and I get into about the market and, you know, what it kind of holds this market back and keeps it in this trading range is the valuations on the S&P 500. Well, I read a statistic this past week that if you eliminate the FANG names from the S&P 500, the P.E. ratio is 14.8. Now, that is below the 5 and the 10-year P.E. For well, the Siegel S&P was on this afternoon. You may have not heard him. Siegel I, I was that. on, and, and he was talking about going back, doing a study over 60 years, and mm-hmm. throwing out the highs and the lows, and he said the average P.E. is around 17, and that's okay. where we are right now. So he doesn't think the market's expensive or not expensive. 
but strip out the fang names based on what I based on what I read. You strip out some of the big. Well, he was just know. talking. He was talking about years. You know, he sure. was throwing out the eighties. I mean, to me, I think it turned to like fifteen. Under fifteen, then the market starts to look cheap to me. Seventeen, I don't know. I just feel like that's a little expensive. But the thing that really, in the back of my mind, is I cannot believe the unemployment statistics. I don't believe those numbers. If those numbers were not right, then then you could see a lot of things in the market would make sense. But the fact that we seem to have all these, you quote how many jobs are available out there. The last you know, report was 10.8 million jobs available. And we've let in all of, you know, we don't truly know how many people have come across the border. They just guess how many people have come in. And yet we seem to have all these jobs. I mean, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, wouldn't it be funny if one day, and they've been known to do this, where the Fed will go back and say, you know, we made a mistake in our calculations back in, in 2022, and we've had to go back and adjust our numbers. And, you know, we really have not had uh, – our unemployment numbers actually been higher than what we've been reporting. I mean, well, I can wake up tomorrow and believe it. I mean, they've done stuff like this well, before. Well, it's, it's but, like the transitory inflation call. I mean, it's the oh, same yeah, band yeah. that called that. And then, the, and then in 2018, made a decision to raise rates and then right, turned around and said, whoops, made a mistake. Well, here. you know, I, I forgot well, to mention Mrs. Elmer Fudd went over to Ukraine <laughs> and gave them a check, too. Yeah. Right? I, Janet, yeah Yellen. Janet Yellen went over there. But, but here's With her the Buster other thing. Brown haircut. But, but, but Dad, this is, this is the whole thing about the unemployment number. This is the reason why I look at the U6, because the U6, I feel, is no, a I true know. unemployment I mean, number, which is closer to seven, which is closer I, I, to seven. I, I understand. I, I agree. I mean, I know you watch that number, and, and we have said, you have said, and I agree with you. That's the that true That is a more number. true number of unemployment. It is not this not this number that comes out next Friday. Well, and 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 here's well, it'll come out, but I mean the headline number. Yeah, that, but 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 here's the thing: where the jobs have been created the most, of course, is in the service sector because we had so many businesses that were shut down. You know, restaurants, bars, hotels, travel, all of that was shut down during the lockdowns, and people just weren't traveling. And now everyone has got oh, all yeah. this pent up, all this pent up. Death um, is near. Well, so let's go I mean, see the world. Well, you know what? I, you know what's funny, Dad, that you should say that because I had a, a no, conversation I, a couple few weeks I, ago. I, with I, a, no, I no, didn't no. come up with this. No, no, I know, but but just anecdotally, I had a a meeting with a client via Zoom out in College Station, and him and his wife are very, very good about spending their money in retirement. And he's almost kind of held back living when he can definitely afford to live more. And he said, COVID showed me and my wife that we need to get out and explore the world more while we have our health. And so for someone who hadn't traveled now has three or four trips planned this year, let alone coming out in 2024. And so this is the pent-up demand that's finally being released. And so that spring had been compressed and has now finally released its energy. And so that's why we're going to see, I think, inflation a little stickier for a little bit longer. But that doesn't mean the Fed is going to continue to be raising rates in the face of it as to the day is long. I mean, I still say the Fed is definitely in the ninth inning of raising interest rates, regardless of what these Fed governors say, because they're trying to save face from the giant cream pie that was slapped in their face when they got the transitory inflation issue wrong. Yes. And they took too long. And then you see, like, the European Central Bank, how far behind the curve they are, once again, raising their interest rates. And they had an inflation print that had an eight handle on it this past week. 
And by the way, well, I, how's the MSCI doing this year? Have you all checked the index of the MSCI? Uh, talk about, I can check it during the break and, and tell you exactly where it's well, at. You were talking about portfolios and, and possibly being a time to add an, to international exposure. But well, I would say to if you're going to add speak, inter- that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, if you're going to add international exposure, do it very slowly and dollar cost average in. But let's take a pause. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So I wanted to talk a little bit about a statistic that I saw, a research report that I read this past week. And I sent the information to, to Jeff and to Joe because I know Jeff and I, we get into to arguments on this program about the valuations of the market, the big question of whether the October lows is the low for this bear market, which it reached intraday at 34.91 back in October of last year, if that's going to be the low. I will tell you, I've been hearing more and more analysts, more and more money managers stating that they feel confident that the 34.91 intraday low in October of 2022 was the low and is the low of this cycle. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't come back down to the support level that we have in place since December, late December of last year of 37.65. Because if you're looking at the market, technically we are still in this range where the S&P 500 support level is at 37.65 and its resistance level is at 41.95. We've been trading in and around those two points going back to late December. But a statistic that I ran across in this research report is it had the market going back to the early 70s, and it showed how the market performed in the face of a rising interest rate environment. And in all occasions, going back to the early 70s, when the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates, the S&P 500 was positive, actually gained during those periods of time. And so we're let me just stop. Let me just stop you right here. Remember, I started January of 73 and the market didn't get back to where I started until August of 83. So don't tell me how the market went up with rising interest rates the first 10 years I was in the business. I'll send you the chart. I'm just not as wealthy as I should be because uh, (laughs) I I remember being pretty poor the first four years as a broker. Well, but I'm telling you, as far as during the time periods of the interest rate hikes, the market was positive. Well, interest rates were going up all that time, Kyle. That's what I'm telling you. That's not true. Last year, I will send you the research report, Dad. And we had we had some up years. You know, you're a bull market baby, 1975, 1976. But I'm just telling you, for the 10 year period, we weren't up. I'm not talking for a 10-year period, Dad. I'm talking the periods where they were raising rates. And I'll send it to you so we don't get an argument on the air. Well, they raised rates from 73 to 82. So what you're saying, 
I'll, you're, putting I'll send it to you. you're putting generic pampers on Kyle when he was born. <laughs> that was uh, probably cloth. Maybe not cloth. 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 A cloth. Okay. Okay. Sorry. We, we, we did. I, I, although I think we might have had some of the disposables when you know year one or year two, but I think we started with cloth. With well, the well, here here's the uh, here's another discussion for the market because you know last year. The S&P 500 had earnings growth, but then the S&P 500 was down right around 19% for the year. So far this year, we've seen negative earnings growth, almost to 5% negative earnings growth. And so the big question is, are we going to continue to see or how big is the negative earnings growth going to be for this year? And just because, and what this research report was showing is just because you have negative earnings years doesn't mean the market can be positive because last year we had positive earnings growth. And since the market is a forward-looking mechanism, it was forward-looking in the face of this Fed height, you know, height raising of rates. And so that's why it sold off even in the face of rising earnings. And well, so I would say it was a very interesting report with geopolitical risk last year. We keep ignoring the elephant in the room. I wouldn't disagree with you. And, it's a, and it's a growing element. I mean, we, we have not had this level of geopolitical risk in my career. We didn't have we were there's no risk in Vietnam that we were going to get a nuclear bomb dropped on us by Russia. That wasn't we didn't I, have I that risk. Think, I, here I, in think, Vietnam. I think our risk of that is none to none. That that's going to I, I happen. would feel differently if I didn't have Mr. Woke running the chief, you know, the, the the chief of staff of the military. I don't like Millie in charge of that. I'm not. I don't have any confidence in Austin. And then you slow. You throw in. I don't know who's running the government, but it's not Joe Biden. You know, is it Rice? Is it Obama? Is it Michelle Obama? Who is it? But I don't have confidence in these people, Kyle. You know, we, we have serious issues, and we've got the worst cabinet around this man. And you look at Blinken. Are you kidding me? Blinken, I'd rather have Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. Well, She's on, got me, more confidence. Right. I have more confidence Take in breath. her. Take a breath for I, a second. Well, I'm just saying. I, I understand. You can't but, but, have a bull market. You're throwing out statistics. And the big elephant in the room is we have not had this level of geopolitical risk. We have not had this level of socialism in charge of our federal government in my lifetime. So what we've not talked about the last couple of years, I mean, couple of weeks, is geopolitical risk still as a headwind for this market? And but but here's but here's the thing. I don't disagree with anything you said about what's happening in Washington. But here's one thing about about Vladimir Putin. Yes, he's unstable. Yes, he's a dictator. But he also understands the end game of self-assured mutual destruction when it comes to nuclear weapons. So he I knows. Hope so, but he just got through killing his midwife who who gave birth to his okay. second love child yes. from his girlfriend. Okay, yeah, he's we're, still we're not, killing his enemies. Okay, he's afraid I, I, of a midwife. Okay, Dad. He's worried about dad, his dad, image dad. Let's of having back. a girlfriend. Okay, Dad. Let's well, I mean, back. that's okay. how silly. The Look. man is unstable. Of course he's unstable. He's but got it's self- nuclear weapons. But it's self-assured destruction, mutual destruction of something like that I understand that. So, yeah, I, let, let's... I, I wouldn't have a problem if Eisenhower was president. I wouldn't have a problem if Nixon was yeah. president. I wouldn't have a problem with Reagan. <laughs> I, have a problem with, I have a problem with both candidates right now. I, I wouldn't feel safe with, with the orange man in. I just wouldn't. Okay. Well, let's let's get back to the market because 
you know, really. But what I'm market... saying is that is what's holding the market down. You know, y'all keep talking about the Fed and interest rates. They're going, you know, they're making the most money the bankers have made in recent years. The bankers love these guys. They're getting all kinds of speaking fees. Every time they raise rates, the banks make more money. We got the best mortgage rates going for these people. I mean, things have not been this good for the money center banks since early in this century. Well, and it hasn't. I mean, they, it ha- love, they love okay. what the feds do. It. And, it, and it hasn't been this good for bond managers either, and we're taking full advantage of it. In fact, Absolutely. It's in been fact, years on, since on, we've had a year like this. On, on Friday, you know, we made another purchase in a U.S. Treasury, a two-year Treasury, uh, in all the portfolios of all allocation styles at Davidson Capital. So we made that purchase on Friday. Uh, we're still continuing to build our fixed income portfolio. And I know Jeff and I had a, a lengthier conversation of maybe owning more treasuries over corporates because as we talk about strategy on the show, as we always do, we were talking about having a combination of a 20% corporate bond portfolio and a 20% treasury portfolio. But now because the spreads are still not that vast between a high-grade corporate bond versus U.S. Treasury, you know what, I would give up maybe 10, 15, 20 basis points to have the riskless return in a Treasury than going out and buying a corporate bond. And so We can make 4% for 10 years guaranteed, right? On a 10-year Treasury, yes. Guaranteed for four. The history history of this century – of the S and P, I believe is seven eight. No, right? It's five point nine through twenty twenty two. All right, all right. So you're telling me we got four guaranteed versus five something? Five point nine was yes, was the S and P. All right. 500. So explain to me why we should be carried away buying stocks if we got four percent guaranteed. Well, this is this is the reason why that we have capped from a moderate allocation standpoint. Why we're capping our equity exposure to sixty percent, where in years past we had a maximum tactical ceiling on the equity side and a moderate allocation of 70%. Well, we've dialed it back to 60 as the ceiling. Now, that doesn't mean we're getting to the ceiling this year or we're getting to the ceiling next year because we're taking full advantage of these higher interest rates and these higher yield to maturities on the fixed income side. But we also, on the stock side of our portfolios, we have, we're receiving over 2% plus, 2.1% plus in dividend income. So any capital, Absolutely. so any capital, so hold on, let me finish. So any capital appreciation is just extra gravy on the mashed potatoes. And who doesn't like extra gravy on their mashed potatoes? No, I, know I, mean, I, I agree. I mean, I understand, but I'm just saying, we used to say you start with a 10-year and it's four. So it's like that's your worst case. You should be up four. Well, but, but again, the yield of maturity, it's going to be a little bit like Joe said, a little bit under four, but I understand your point. Joe, you have something you wanted to say? No, I just wanted to say you also got to take into account your individual situation and also what's inflation going to be settled in at. It ain't going to be right. two, well, it you're might losing. be three. So maybe you do, you're you losing know. to inflation. Yeah, I mean, well, there's no question right. about you that. you got to take it, some risks. Outside of bonds to meet inflation, depending on who you what your time frame is. Go ahead. No, no. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean that for you. It was for Dad, but he's getting ready to jump and in. The but, other side. But, but the other me, side is me, we don't have it in real estate either. You can't go out in real estate and do what you could do because of the mortgage rate. Because the mortgage rate. You're, you're absolutely right. Because it's going to be more expensive for those carrying costs. Yes. But, but 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 Joe, you're right, and that's a conversation. You know, that's something that they don't show on a statement. You know what inflation was because we've always said that inflation is that silent killer. 
in the portfolio. And so if investors think that, oh, I can just have nothing but bonds in my portfolio, well, you can't forget about that thing called inflation that's still running above 5%. So you can go and capture 4% in a bond portfolio, but you're losing 1% in purchasing no, power. Don't. So you're net negative as far as your total return when you when you calculate inflation. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, we actually should call it uh, political-wise, at least for this weekend, <laughs> with, with, Jeff, with Jeff not uh, being on this weekend's show, letting the uh, politics fly. And in this last segment, you know, we were talking, uh, we were talking before the commercial break. And, and, and again, on this program, multiple times, you know, that we're finally as balanced managers, as buyers, uh, and managers, active managers of fixed income, that we finally have access to interest rates that we haven't had access to in 15 years. And we're taking full advantage of it. And as I said in the last segment, that we bought another treasury for all of our allocation models, for all of our clients, um, another two-year treasury. And we've had portfolio conversations and strategy meetings that we might wind up with having a bigger allocation to U.S. government bonds than corporates for our individual stock and bond accounts. Uh, and that's, you know, that's we're still in the process of debating that because are we getting a big enough yield to maturity spread owning corporates versus a riskless treasury. And we know that the Fed is going to be raising rates once, twice, possibly three more times before they get to their terminal rate. And the big question is what that terminal rate is going to be. Is it going to be 475? Is it going to be five, five and a quarter, 6%? You know, I said on last weekend show, I read some pie in the sky uh, you know, one of these fear mongers like, we got to get it to eight. The Fed's got to get the terminal rate to eight. And I know it's going to be some more time, several more weeks before we get inflation data from February. But coming up and looking forward to next week, it's all going to be about the jobs numbers on Friday. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of lighter volume, continuing with lighter volume, just continuing, as I've called it, the cha-cha of the market, two steps forward, two steps back. Or I also use the analogy, a truck stuck in the mud, just spinning its tires and not going anywhere. A lot of smoke, a lot of noise, but not going anywhere until we hear that employment number. And I will say that if that employment number comes in below expectations, I would not be surprised if the market rallies back to its resistance level of 4195 because then that gives cover for the Fed to be ending their interest rate increasing, increasing policy sooner. 
rather than later and then stick to that 25 basis point increase. Because, you know, Dad, this has been the first time you've been back on the show when you and I were talking and you said the Fed should have done 50 in February, and I agreed with you. They just need to rip the Band-Aid off, quit the slow jamming of their interest rate increases. And I agreed with you they should have done a half of a percent as opposed to a quarter of a percent. And so I think, again, earlier this week, we had more Fed speak. And I go back to Alan Greenspan when he said, if you know what I'm thinking, I'm talking too much. I wish we could go back to that policy because every the market, just check the briefcase. Yeah, just check just the briefcase. The briefcase. I mean that I, that was the, one of my favorite quotes from Alan Greenspan. If you know what I'm thinking, I'm speaking too much. Where our Fed governors today, I mean, they literally have a calendar of every Fed governor, whether they're voting or non-voting, and where they're speaking and at what time. And these algorithms and the and the high frequency traders, they're all tuned in to hear what they have to say because I know on Thursday, you know, the market was down for most of the day. I mean, we even dipped below the two hundred day moving average on Thursday this past week. And then right towards the close, a Fed governor came out and said something that was interpreted as being a bit more dovish. What the market do? Shot right back up to the 50 line. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's that tuned in to every single word and it's parsed. Every word is coming out of the mouth of these Fed governors. So Friday's employment number is going to be very critical. And as we get the inflation data from February, we'll get to confirm whether January is showing, a, a, you know, inflation trending a little bit higher or it was just an anomaly and it's going to continue on its trend lower. But I think I've said on this show and we're all in agreement, Jeff, Joe and I, none of us think the Fed's going to be cutting rates by the end of this year. I just don't see that in the cards. No, no way. No way. I, no way. I, so we're all for an agreement on that. I think they're going to be holding rates higher for longer. Um, that's for sure. And and I changed my position. I thought the Fed would only raise rates twice this year. Now I'm in Jeff's camp and Joe's camp of three raises. And I would say I wouldn't be surprised to see a fourth. But it's all going to be data dependent. And so the advice that we've been giving to all of our listeners and our home gamers is that, you know, always have your buy list ready. Be patient. Be patient. Very patient. Very patient. Have the cash available. In the meantime, before you deploy that cash, look for a higher-yielding money market account so at least you can collect some interest on that idle cash until you're ready to deploy it. And when you do deploy it, do it very slowly through dollar-cost averaging process. And again, right now, from our, if you're looking at our moderate asset allocation models, we're still hovering right around 42% on the stock side of the portfolio. And we're just continuing to build the fixed income side of our portfolio, but also doing that incrementally in dollar cost averaging. And again, with, with the Fed raising rates two or three more times, we could be seeing a little bit higher yields as time goes on through the first half of this year. But I'm still in the camp that this is going to be a second half year, uh, regardless of how we started in January. Obviously, the February's performance showed that January was a little bit more of an anomaly and more of a trader's month. Um, And so we'll see. But we're in the last month of the first quarter of 2023, and we're still going to be data dependent. 
Any other advice that you could give, Dad, in your infinite wisdom of, I don't know, how many decades you've been doing this? I can't even do the math. i got to bring up my calculator for that. Well, well, again, the thing to me is we used to always, I mean, Jimmy Carter lost the presidency because of the hostages. had nothing to do with the Federal Reserve. If it wouldn't have been for the Iranian hostages, Jimmy Carter would have had a second term. Ronald Reagan would not have been president. So there's a geopolitical risk that took out a president. So that's how we used to look at markets. You know, the Fed didn't make pronouncements. You had to see what they were doing and interpret what they were doing in their open market activity. The Greenspan got in there, Andrea Mitchell's his wife. All of a sudden, he became a rock star. And from then on, the Federal Reserve has been like it is. So, again, as I look at things, you've got to take advantage of the bond market, which y'all are doing. I think continue to do that. Stocks are not expensive. They're not like they were, but then they're not that cheap either, and we have to be patient. It's one of those years. Historically, this should be a great year for the market, but we have not followed history over the last decade, and I see no reason to think we would this year either. And it's going to be, of course, data dependent. Well, we're going to take – our commercial break, we're going to go, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that... A lot of our educational segments, we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone. But we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement, and and really more importantly and more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found 
for Market Watch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and that would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning. And what I what I call it when I work with our clients or prospective clients, I call it financial road mapping. That's just the, the name I've given it uh, myself as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement, just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg, this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nesting because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle. And have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their, number. Their, their, and it? have upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal 
assets that they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26 plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, But that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just... That's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, the way we viewed this, this the four percent rule, as as you talked about, Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at it as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their 4% maximum rate of withdrawal uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to 2 or 3% maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with with a 4% rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars and you're telling, well, you can only withdraw 2% a year. That's $20,000. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, 10-year bonds right now, exactly. you, you don't need any of this. You can get right at 2%. Exactly. So you don't, you don't need to go to Wall Street to get a 2% withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own, dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's why I said that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the Treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement And some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready 
for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. uh, I I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. (laughs) (laughs) This, This research firm, they surveyed... Uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research, researchers found that only 12%, uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year. But they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%. And some of these folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. but you know one thing that that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing and that means retirees going into their IRA accounts going into their retirement accounts and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis and I wanted to talk about this because being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend to Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account, and then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out, you get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, a at our at our firm, the six to seven percent withdrawal rate rule, where you're part of this group that's taking out nine, ten, eleven percent of your investable net worth well, by well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is 
you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a 401k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, an example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs, and those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start, of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, you know, doing it that way? Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients – don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal. And it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not told. It's If you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals... It can force sales that you don't want to make. And... It may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that'd have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out in October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true. But it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start. I mean, when we, we know you start taking out more than seven percent a year. You run the risk. You're going to be you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. Twenty five years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since nineteen eighty nine, and there we're gonna have wild and woolly markets for the next twenty five years. And so you start doing that and you are going to run out of money. And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't, I mean, it's their money. We and, are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel, and we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear. A lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts, uh, they are more times than not uh, purchases that they shouldn't be making. Um, I've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage. The first thing that happens is they retire, and they have a seven-figure 
retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt-free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we sh- should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement, maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating at no re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that, is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10... 12 years away from retirement and you take a million dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it, maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education of, about retirement spending, and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about folks going into retirement wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process 
should be starting many years, you know, three years before. So that you, if three years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So, it's it's yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And, and the thing that, that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's 3.5%. No, don't pay cash for it. Because just utilizing our, our asset builder, our moderate allocation, our asset builder, our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is 7%. So I use 7% as the rule of thumb. If the interest rate is below 7%, you finance it. If the interest rate is above 7%, okay, we can discuss paying cash for it. Because, it, again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again to right. pay for those income taxes? So, Your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4%. On twenty thousand dollars, you know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my memory, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes that you're going to have to pay. Pulling that money out, so you're giving up eight hundred dollars a year in additional income, compounded, and a three thousand dollar tax bill in a fifteen percent tax bracket just to pay off a twenty thousand dollar car loan at three percent. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot, a couple of hundred thousand dollar house, and at a four percent interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. 
Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff, if if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate, you really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out 8, 9, 10% a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare. The oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as, as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak, three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement, you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't if you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And it's a, and it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than 
than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets to me comes down to one word: flexibility. Absolutely, and flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens. And I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension and that's it. Because once you lock yourself in to take in that pension payment, you're done. You you that's the that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two typically, once once if you choose the right the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate. And it's not; those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less. And they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is, and I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement. And I was talking about taking pension payments. And we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension, or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged 
are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than three thousand dollars a month. So, if you're receiving a four or five thousand dollar monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, yeah, you just sliced you just sliced your regardless pension payment. of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows, some horror stories concerning these pension payouts, and I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal, is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years, and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox, receives a letter stating, oh, we've overpaid you over the last 10 years, $150,000. You need to pay that back to us immediately, or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment. It's rare. It's rare. It's very rare. But it happens. One thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the... And come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah. That's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, <laughs> you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm you know I'm only seventy. I'm not I'm not you know I I'm not 
retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this But is, that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed, this is fear. This, this is this the is, 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed? Create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401Ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, ex- accepting a lower salary for in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, the, what it's, it's just never – this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401Ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health." We will talk to you next week.